Amen. So you guys had uh, a uh, political uh, meeting here. A debate was located here this week in, in uh, Detroit, and we were. I was thinking about that, and I, uh, the Lord was saying that uh, I should talk to you today about politics as usual. Amen. And really, this is what he wants me to do is to explain to you the connection between the religious spirit and the political spirit. Amen. Because they're really the same spirit. It's just one. It's a very powerful spirit. One works in the secular world and the other one works in the church, works among God's people. And it works among other religions as well. And so we're going to talk about. Uh, well, just a little history of it, development of it, so you can trace it to understand the power uh, of the pulpit and the power of the podium, uh, because this is where a lot of ideas come from. This is where, uh, if, if you look at Hitler's rise to power, he wasn't powerful until he got a podium to stand behind. Amen. That's where his influence increased. And there are spiritual forces that will interact with people to carry those words so that they penetrate the minds and the souls of people and they influence people to join whatever it is they're telling them to join. And so that's why the pulpit is a very sacred place to most ministers. I don't think anybody who's really called of God takes it lightly uh, because there is great uh, influence and power uh, derived just from that position. So oratory or the art of public speaking has been practiced and taught from as early as early Egyptian society. So Egypt being the oldest, well, civilized nation on the earth or known to man, uh, there was oratory that was being practiced there. Oratory really is the art of public speaking. It gained prominence in, in the early Greek culture and Roman culture, so that's when it hit its highest Prominence was during that time. That's about 2,000 years ago. It became a part of education, and it was formalized in public education in the Middle Ages, and it stands today. Uh, some of the, the uh, um, disciplines that include oratory or public speaking, uh, there are groups, secular groups that, that form. Uh, Toastmasters International is a group that teach people the art of public speaking. Public speaking or oratory is really a part of the discipline of philosophy. So anytime you have philosophy classes, they also will include uh, ideas that help people to learn how to project their voices so they can influence people. More, and more, more now these days, it's included under the discipline of broadcasting because many people uh, just see that as where they want to go and they understand the end result of public oratory. But we're going to talk about it as a spiritual force uh, so that you understand the implications of, of public speaking. The Greeks developed it into an educational and art form. So if one desired to excel in court, uh, or in uh, politics or in social life, they took public speaking or oratory. Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates all developed their theories about public speaking, and they built schools around their teachings. The Romans who conquered the Greeks absorbed, absorbed the Greek culture by the time of Christ, and they had schools developed around uh, the theories of rhetoric. The Romans so uh, valued the Greeks that when, they, when a, a Roman citizen was educated, they no longer spoke Latin, which was they considered to be a vulgar language or language of the people. They all spoke Greek. So educated Romans actually spoke Greek and not Latin because they so valued the Greek culture. They just absorbed it whole hog. And so a lot of the the Greek philosophers were actually highly esteemed by the Roman government. At the time of Christ, Rome ruled the world. So this type of uh, behavior, uh, this type of philosophy and education was highly valued during the time of Christ. <clears throat> so they developed schools around their theories and rhetoric. People who mastered oratory obtained great wealth and stature. Politicians and ministers have always used oratorical skills to persuade people to their opinion or ideas. 
The goal of oratory is to persuade and entertain. I'm going to say that again. The goal of oratory is to persuade and entertain. The size of the crowd and how they were influenced are signs of good oratory. One question the Greeks posed was, what is truth? Remember, Pilate asked that question. Jesus came in right in the middle of all of their Greek schools, all their philosophies, and all of their oratory, and began to preach under a power that they had not seen before, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit or the anointing. Amen. When Jesus preached, I am the truth, he answered the question that all the philosophers had sought for years and debated for years all of their answers. So when Jesus enters the earth, he comes with answers to all questions, no matter who's asking him. Amen? He doesn't come just for the saved. He comes for the unsaved. He came to seek and save that which was lost. When Pilate asked Jesus what is truth, he was echoing some of the great philosophers of the time. Jesus had already preached that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So that question was answered. Greek, uh, there were um, orders preached to crowds. Jesus preached to multitudes. When you say multitudes, that's bigger than a crowd. That's multiplied crowds. They followed him from city to city. So he did outdid every orator that ever had come before him. He outdid every philosopher that ever came before him. He mastered all questions that were ever put to him. So he mastered and outdid all oratory just by dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He preached truth, and the wind of the Spirit carried his words, and they became words with power. So much so that people said, I have not seen it on this fashion before. So imagine a society where people are are applauding people who have certain kinds of skills. And here a carpenter's son stands up and outdoes everybody who's professionally trained and all of the things that they've been through. And he just is raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God wants him to do. Amen. That's why you as a believer should never fear if you're capable of preaching the gospel. Because all of their uh, schools of, of philosophy and all their schools of thought could not outdo what Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 15:32, we see an example of Jesus' power to persuade multitudes. Jesus called his disciples and had and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. Nobody, I don't care if it was Plato, Aristotle, whoever it was, could hold an audience for more than maybe an hour at a time or two hours. After a while, people began to drift away and filter off, and you were kind of left standing there with a handful of people struggling to hold on to them and hold their attention. It's documented here that because of the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing that Jesus received from the Father, that crowds of people followed him three days without eating. It wasn't three, it wasn't a day and then we stop and have a meal and and break for, you have a breakout room and all that kind of stuff. But it was three days straight and he preached for three days straight. You know, most ministers you see now, uh, uh, X number of percentage of pastors want to quit. They're all burnt out. Well, you ain't preached for 72 hours straight yet, so you couldn't be burnt out. Amen? Huh? He never burned out. Why? Because the Holy Spirit produces life. It brings life back to us. It allows us life. Many times we're worn out because we're trying to do it without the power of God. So much of what we do, amen, we're trying to do on our own strength and our own power, 
trying to hold the crowd ourselves, trying to figure out how to get more people in, tear down this stadium and build a bigger one so we can get more people in there. Well, that'll burn you out quicker than anything. If God calls people to you, he knows how many he's calling. He knows how to house them and how to take care of them. Amen? Just like he did with Jesus. So Jesus had this crowd follow him for three days with nothing to eat. He said, I won't send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And so the disciples worked with him to feed that multitude of people on just a small amount of food. And and that was multiplied because Jesus decided he wanted to feed people. Whatever he decided he needed from the Father, the Father quickly provided to him. Amen. It didn't take three days of fasting and prayer and wondering where it was going to come from. It was done instantly upon need. That's the power of the anointing. So Jesus used the foolishness of preaching to get the people, get the gospel to the people politicians use the same method Hmm? they we all use the foolishness of preaching to get your message to the people often there's a mixture of politics in religion and vice versa if you notice now in in general society just just the average person that's out there in society there's a, a liberal thought process that is immoral and allows for any kind of behavior, so much so that it's become a religion to these people. Having God taken out of your life is now a religion to people, which they refer to commonly as new age, which includes anything that you want to do in the name of religion. It's permissible to you. And this has been preached in our society, probably since the, the uh, 60s, you know, when the hippie generation with the free love and smoking dope and all that kind of stuff, that came in during that time. And right away, people started taking God out of everything. We took God out of the schools. We allowed people to come and sue us and tell us it's not right for us to have to have prayer in school. So then nobody's allowed to pray anymore. So this is a sinister uh, device that has come, and it's come through preaching, and it's come through public uh, voice, through the media, print media and spoken media, so that there's a lot of liberal thought that's being preached, and every day more and more people get persuaded that this is right and that God is wrong. And so people, believers, have allowed this to happen. I think it's been so subtle. People haven't really understood it was happening. The way we counter it is not to just get up and argue with people, but we counter it through the voice of God in prayer. And so when you pray, you take down these powers and you take down these ideas from their exalted place. So for all the orators that get up and speak, worldly things secular things liberal thought there must be saints of god who in the prayer room pull down those words and pull down those powers that exalt themselves above the knowledge of god so then the spirit of god wins out every single time if we will use our authority and use our power to counter these ideas Don't ever let your mind go liberal in the way it perceives things. You, that's not your word to compromise on. This is God's word, the same word that saved you. You have to defend that word wherever it's challenged. You can't let anybody come and challenge that word. And so God has raised up people, ministers, his ministers, to preach not out of a political spirit or a religious spirit, but to preach out of the Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus preached out of. So he used the foolishness of preaching to get the gospel to people. Politicians, we said, use the same thing. And religious men use the same method. So you have a spiritual church and you have a religious church. The religious church is very political in the way it sees things. For instance, if somebody calls a minister on their television program 
and ask them what they think about homosexuality. And that person's answer comes out not offending somebody who's living in sin and not offending somebody who's condoning it. They have been compromised in their answer that they give. See, the answer is very straightforward. All you got to go do is go to the word. You know, it's not about what I think about it. I think what God thinks. But we want to go to God's word and find out what God says about these things. And this is where we as believers take our stand. You can't stand on something different than that and call yourself a believer. But yet how many of us hear compromise every time that question is asked somebody? They don't answer straightforward. They don't answer direct. They try to hem and haw and they try to to wiggle around it. So they really have joined up. Their, they, their religion that they call spiritual has joined up with the realm of politics so that they want to give what they call a politically correct answer so that you don't offend anybody by coming up straight up with the word of God. And so in this, this day and age, the believer has to be very discerning. You have to have your ears on the right way. So that when you hear messages, you have to hear it by the Spirit of God and discern what's being said. Discern if there's compromise there or discern if their people are speaking by the Holy Spirit, which will always line up straight with the Word of God. There's no compromise on God's Word. God's Word is forever settled. Amen? In heaven and in earth. So... When, when people have a mixture of the political and religion, this is different than what Jesus did. He used the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Everybody else uses the power of the human spirit to get the message across and a certain response from the people. So people who say, for instance, ministers who, who don't have the uh, revelation to project the word of God, so that the Holy Spirit can confirm it with signs following, will take a a scripture and by their human spirit and their soul will devise a message. Paul talked about it as cleverly devised fables. Amen? And so if, if you either are preaching cleverly devised fables or you're preaching the revelation of God, amen, Paul talked about how he, when he reserved the, received the call of God, he said, what did he do? He said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. In other words, I didn't let anybody come into my head and contaminate the message that God had given me. This is very important. Because the more public a platform people have, it seems the more prone they are to compromise, to hold back to withdraw, to draw back. Amen? I remember a very, very prominent speaker uh, didn't want to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and still doesn't, even though that person is spirit-filled. Well, what about all the people out there in your audience? Uh, This is their rightful inheritance to receive the power of God. In fact, God said, don't do anything for me until you're endued with power on high. Because when you go to tell somebody they're healed, I want to be able to heal them. You understand? Well, yeah, I want you empowered to be able to preach that word so I can come and heal them. And so these are the things that the church is up against as far as um, things that will obstruct the word of God from being prominent in the earth and the purity of the word of God. So the p- politician and the religious man preach from the human spirit to get their message across and a certain response from people. In 2 Peter 2, Peter talks about these these people. He speaks of them as clouds without rain. Huh? Great swelling. Got a big booming voice and talk a lot and real loud. And then you go home, you're not even wet. You understand what I'm saying? I've been sitting under that cloud waiting for the rain to fall, and it never falls. So you've got to create some kind of emotional reaction. In Second Peter 2.18, he said, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity. In other words, there's nothing, there's no power there, there's no effect there. He said, They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that 
were clean escape from them who live in terror. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same, he is brought into bondage. Amen. And so when people have great swelling words of man's wisdom, that work is vain. You won't get healed there. You won't get saved there. You won't stay saved there. Amen. Why? Because they're looking for a certain response from the people. That's when God, that's why when God called prophets in the Old Testament, he says, now I'm going to give you a message. I'm going to send you to a stiff necked people. Don't look at their faces. Because they'll scare the bejeebers out of you. Huh? Some people just come in mean anyway. They put on that, that ugly spirit out well when they get outside the door. You know, sometimes you see them by themselves and they look just as nice and pleasant. And then they come and got that ugly thing on there. Huh? So don't look at their faces. Why? Because facial expressions can manipulate you, men, out of your message. When God would give a word to a prophet, and he would, especially prophets in the school of prophets, when they would instruct younger prophets, they would give them a message and, and they would send them with instructions. Go tell so-and-so, such-and-such, such-and-such. Don't stop and talk to anybody before you get there. And that is protecting the sanctity and the purity of the message. If you share it with somebody, you talk to somebody, you'll get pulled off from your message. will be polluted by the time you get there. So we have to understand how to sanctify and purify the word that God puts inside of us as believers. You sanctify it by keeping yourself immersed in an atmosphere that supports the truth of that word. Don't put yourself in an atmosphere where people want to pick at you and dig at you and ask you a million questions about something. Well, when are you going to, did you get the answer to prayer yet? Are you healed yet? Are you this yet? Are you that yet? Huh? Yeah, I'm all of that. And then some. Huh? Well, no devil stealing that. You know, that's petty stuff. That's kitty stuff. Don't fall for that devil's chump chains. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul tells us, and this is, this is the respect that you have for God and God's people. You know, a minister who has respect for God's people will not get up and try to persuade them so that they think like you do. See, we have to watch sometimes the things that we feel very strongly about personally. Because, see, that will get to be your message. And you won't have a message for God if you're not careful. So you have to discipline yourself to hear from God. There are things we're all passionate about. There are things that we've been robbed from, and we've got to get them back from the devil. And, you know, we'll get up and talk about it every time we're in a pulpit if we're allowed to. Second Corinthians 4, 7. Now, this is respect for God's people. Amen. This is respect for them. You don't get up just because you, you know, you're nice looking and people like you and all that and tell them anything so they can follow you. They ain't following you. If they follow you, it's because they fo- you follow Christ. That's about as, that's about as much as you're going to get off of God for that. So where are we? Second Corinthians 4, 7. All right. So he says here, <clears throat> he says, for we preach not ourselves. That's number five. We preach you. You don't preach you. But Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So the only reason I'm up here is because he called me. See, I, I don't have like a failed marriage behind me where I'm trying to get over my insecurity by having a bunch of people follow me. I mean, I've seen it. I don't know what y'all see, but that's what I see many times. We've had women come in and out of this ministry over the years. God called me to preach. Well, you know, how's your husband? Oh, that old scoundrel. Ooh, ouch. You can't get up in the pulpit and say that. I know I said it. No, I didn't. You know what I'm saying. But you, you've got to be really called. This isn't something you try after you have messed up everything else God gave you in your life. You'll mess up people, too. How dare you disrespect God's people like that? You've got to be really called. Problem in this world now, we got a lot of people that, that were never sent. They just went. 
They were never called. They just answered themselves. We got self-called, self-promoted. Huh? You can always tell somebody, call they self. Every time you go to dial a number, it's disconnected. They can't even keep a cell, cell phone bill paid. You tell them I said so. Got 15 numbers. Well, you know, I lost my, you ain't lost that number. You can keep the same number. Get you a new phone, but you, you. I said I wasn't going to go there today. I was going to straight down the line. Huh? You don't disrespect God's people by using them to make yourself feel good about yourself. <laughs> if you want that from people, you won't be in a bad shape. First thing they're going to want to do is stone you. Look at David. Huh? You feel real good when they talk about stoning you. Well, I gave, I tied, and I didn't. My, I ain't paid my bills. I want my money back. People do it. Fred Price got up and preached one Sunday on why he won't take checks. He said most of them bounce. He said your checks cost me more money than I get off of them. Got me? So if you're in this for what you're gonna get out of it. Where was I? Oh, four, verse. (laughs) For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that's who you're working for. You got me? So let's give him some respect has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this is what your preaching is based on. It's based on light and revelation that comes to you from a knowledge of God. It doesn't come to you because you hear somebody with a message. You can always tell when somebody on TV has preached a message because you hear people say it like a bunch of parrots over and over again. We're not all called to preach that. But we think it makes them popular and we just want to be popular. There's a sickness going through the world, folks. Everybody wants to blow up. We don't preach ourselves. We preach because God has put revelation in us. It's like fire shut up in your bones. The Lord has spoken. Who can help but prophesy? That's your motivation. That God has spoken to you and he has given you a word and he has anointed you and he's released you to tell people what he wants you to tell them. You ask people sometimes, well, what do you feel your message is to the body of Christ? Huh? Well, I'm apostle so-and-so and... Listen, if you don't know what you're called to tell people, you better go back. Every prophet that was ever called was given a message. Something to say. Hmm? Well, I preach salvation. Yes, so do I. But I have a message that God gave me to preach. Uh Called me to preach the ministry of the watchman. I know that like I know the front and back of my hand. He called Brother Hagin to preach the word of faith. He knew that like, eh. Got to have something to say from God, folks. He says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have a treasure. If you have a treasure in earthen vessels, then the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So you want the power of God demonstrated in your words. You don't want people just to come and give and you can pay your bills and you can get bigger numbers and you can do all those things. You want power to result from what you preach. And you want it to be a message from God and trust that message so that when people start to follow you, they are following you based on the power of God and not the excellency of your words. Huh? 
God will mess your head up every single time. He'll tell you, tell you to go to somebody's meeting and their grammar is, you know, you wonder if they finished high school. Can't put two words together. But boy, will that word manifest if you believe it. You understand what I'm saying? He fools us every single time. Then you go to the convocation of all the bishops and bishops and not you, Bishop Russell. Talking about the mother bishops. And you hear somebody, and the multitude of and you go, God stood out on the precipice of. Come on, y'all. Precipice ain't going to pay your bills tonight. Huh? It's not going to get your baby healed. It's not going to do any of that stuff. But the demonstration of power of the Holy Spirit is what you want to follow. Amen? And we are followers in one way or the other. Well, I don't follow nobody. You need to. You need to find somebody who's demonstrating the power of God and follow them. Amen? So the political spirit moves people emotionally. But the words are never confirmed by a higher power. When we are moved emotionally, the effect wears off at some point, and we need another infusion. So make sure when you go to a meeting or you attend your church, you are going because you get questioned answered that will help you with the week to come. You can put into practice what you hear preached, and you get the results that are promised. Amen. Other than that, you'll be going for your weekly fix. And you know what I mean. And people that jump up every five minutes and dance around. You can't even hear the preacher for them shouting and carrying on. Because that's all they have. They have an emotional, they're trying desperately to get something more out of the experience. And so all they can do is have an emotional reaction and shout because they heard something familiar. The minister will say, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Woo! God spoke that to me this morning. (laughs) Then you ought to be up on it now. Did you read it when he spoke it to you? What would you do? Uh, Just killing a little religion in here, folks. You know, we need to to keep ourselves free of it because it sure is a lot of it. (laughs) So the political spirit and the religious spirit move you emotionally. When we're moved emotionally, the effect wears off at some point, and we need another infusion. Emotional preaching can draw big crowds, but when you drop the word in there and start talking to people about sin, righteousness, then you thin your crowd out. And preachers watch this. So they start to gear their message toward not thinning people out so then they begin to give another uh, vision to the church now we only have one vision that comes from the word of god preach go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature amen just preach the gospel preach the word of god preach the gospel but they come with a different vision now so they start oh well we don't really preach like that all the time we have we have seeker friendly meetings huh so we don't want to turn off people who aren't saved well what do you want to do with them send them to hell with a membership you caught it right That's all I got. My name is on the roll. I'm going to hell. Because they were seeker friendly and they never told me the truth. Yeah. 
there was a gentleman I, I watched him he has a ministry where he'll he'll preach on street corners and you know soapbox and you know he just tells people the law straight up you know this is wrong that's wrong that's wrong that's wrong you can come to christ and some girl came up to him and argued with him she claimed to be a christian my heart bleeds for you and these people because you're not telling them the right way. You're not getting anybody to get saved like that. I'm a Christian and I, you see how subtle the devil is? You see the devils, the demons that he will send after somebody who has the word? You don't think things are bad, folks? Really? I can remember when if you were a street preacher, you got big crowds. And people will sit there and cry and repent and receive Christ. Now we got witches standing up there arguing with the man of God who's only giving the word of God to these people who've never heard it. You know why? They don't go to church, no prayer in schools. Who's going to tell them about the Lord? Then we got seeker friendly on television that never preaches really to the lost. Really good evangelists, we don't see them hardly anymore. You hardly see them anymore. That really preach to the hearts, the hardened hearts of men to penetrate that hardness and get the message of the gospel into them. That's probably the most uh, uh, persecuted, besides prophets, ministry that we have on the face of the earth now is the evangelist who can come right in your face and tell you you're not saved. And you'll receive it and you'll receive Christ as your Savior. We, don't, we hardly see that anymore. Everybody now wants to teach people. You can't teach nobody into salvation. It's not possible. The Holy Spirit has to convict their hearts by the truth that you preach. Huh? You know, I've never led a person to the Lord yet that didn't have something that they knew they were doing wrong that they repented of. You don't just grease the the walkway and let them slide on into the kingdom. You don't do that. Butter them so they can slide on in. You don't do that kind of stuff. So emotional preaching can draw big crowds. This is the power of the religious spirit. The person who desires to have his spirit fed will leave an emotional meeting feeling empty. Hmm? You know how you channel surf and you don't miss them. You sit there waiting for the punchline or whatever you're supposed to get. Huh? If you leave empty, it's a good sign because you'll respond to the anointing. And your faith will stand in the power of God and not the wisdom of man, which is vain. Hmm? The wisdom of man won't take you to the corner and back. Hmm? It won't. I can tell you what my opinion is about something is worth two cents if, if it's not the word of God. See? So you get a lot of great swelling words of man's wisdom and all of this, people promote themselves. You know, they sell a bunch of books and they have a bunch of tapes. And all. it means nothing if it's not confirmed by signs following by the power of God. care how big the crowd is. I don't care how many people like them. I don't care how nice they look, how cool they dress. None of that. If it's not confirmed with a sign from God, it is not worth listening to. So you might as well go somewhere and sit down until you can pray up on the real or find some real somewhere or God sends you to the real. Amen. It's a waste of time. What are you sitting there for listening to them? Because everybody else likes them. Huh? For example, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, used the the pulpit of debate to challenge the authority of the catholic church in the 16th century amen what he did he studied the bible and saw that faith in god not the wisdom of man which was by the established papacy was the basis for salvation not indulgences not any of the practices of the catholic church where you could buy your salvation or you could inherit salvation. None of that stuff was, was what it was. 
So he posted 95 theses or, or questions. They were points of questioning to the, to the door of the chapel at Wittenberg, actually a college chapel. So this was an intellectual exercise for debate purposes, but God sent him there to bring his power into the situation, just like he did with Jesus. God repeats the same pattern over and over and over again. So many times you can get into an atmosphere and, and people will wonder how you got there because we've never seen it on this fashion before. Huh? Yeah. When you come in with the anointing and the power of God, it'll stun people who are used to that religious atmosphere. Huh? It's true. You know, people, I don't get invited as much as I did when I was younger. People would invite me to prayer breakfast and stuff like this. And I say, anybody want to speak in tongues? This is a prayer breakfast. Well, it's a speaking in tongues deal now. Huh? And I wasn't as good as Pastor Shirley at getting them baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I knew I was the one God sent that day to do it. Huh? It's the truth. You have to be careful who you invite somewhere. You think you're going to have business as usual and we're going to have a prayer breakfast and... I, that was Clyde L., wasn't it? Your buddies over there. Yeah. And they kept wanting to disconnect the mic and stuff like that. And it, we gotta, we gotta leave this flipping the lights. I said, no, we ain't leaving yet. We gotta get some people praying tongues. This dry place. Huh? I know I ain't coming back, so that ain't, are you kidding me? <laughs> you think I care? I tell people my first pulpit was my bathroom sink. I preached to myself in front of the mirror. You don't think I'll go back there and do it again? Huh? I will return back there again. <laughs> to be careful. We invite people. We need a speaker for our, mm, I got one for you. Hmm? <laughs> So that was the practice if you wanted to debate something, have a religious discussion, discourse with something. You pose your questions. People debate whether he really posted them on the door of the college. You know, that doesn't matter. He got the debate going. He got the question going. And so much so that a whole movement of God was started, the Protestant denomination. Martin Luther's thesis was the just shall live by faith. And when he found that in the Bible, it started a whole different denomination. People started to flock to his meetings because of his preaching. It was so liberating. It had so much truth to it. If you were poor, you couldn't get to heaven under the Catholic system. You had to have money to pay your way into heaven. So that's why the gospel has always been preached to the poor. Amen. Just like Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Huh? Blessed are the meek. And so the church's practices were not defensible, and the Reformation began. Luther used scripture for his argument because scripture is forever settled. Whatever you get up and do for God, it's got to be the word of God. You've got to preach the word of God, and what you say has got to line up with the word of God. Whatever position we take in life, it must be a forever settled position. You can't have a position that's uh, void, uh, that's vain, or that wavers. We have to know and believe God's position. And then he will confirm what we preach with a demonstration of his power to manifest what we preach. So when you want people to be healed, you must preach healing. When you want people to be uh, delivered, you have to preach the gospel. You have to preach salvation. We have to preach that sin is wrong, amen, and that it will take you to hell. You have to preach these things because they are the gospel. Yeah? Politician and religious spirits avoid the truth of the word, amen. They'll avoid it. They may use the word, but they'll use it not in a way with light and revelation. They'll use it in a soulish and a mental way, amen. Like, for instance, people will, you know, uh, people will preach on uh, this, this new thing. And it, to me, it's the same thing as a political, 
political uh, spirit. Remember all the motivational speakers, Tony Robbins with all those tapes and all those people and all the motivational. And if you listen to their message and listen to the message in pulpits, you'll find a lot of similarity and no validation by the word of God. Amen. Oh, you have greatness in you. Huh? No, I have the greater one living in me. And he got in there because I repented of my sins and I asked Jesus Christ into my life. Everybody in here don't have greatness in them. Huh? Bunch of fornicators and thieves and adulterers. Are you kidding me? They got sin in them too. Can we get that out first? Can we deal with that first so the greatness can come through? You don't get much greatness with darkness shrouding it. Huh? You're about to get blessed. And all the haters, God going to bless you right in the church in front of all your haters. No, just put my car in my garage. Don't let these church people know nothing. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Let's not get stupid here. These people don't need to know nothing about what I got unless God gets me up to give a testimony about how I got it. And they'll know they can get it too. God's not short on cars to put in your garage. Are you kidding me? And people get excited about that. And it never comes. The same people have been sitting up there waiting to make their haters jealous are sitting up there now. Just keep giving me your money and coming. Your haters will be jealous one day. God's going to show them. He's going to show them. It's just so sick. It's just so sick. We're supposed to be loving and forgiving, and now we hating. We waiting to get make everybody jealous. <laughs> so politicians and religious spirits avoid the truth of the word. Now they may use the word, but they don't rightly divide it. Don't use it by revelation, and don't use it skillfully. But it has no power when it's not mixed with revelation. Amen. It's mostly mixed with tradition, similar to the way the Catholic Church was in Luther's day. Many of them knew the word. There were people in the in the Catholic denomination. Some of them old monks, you know, would get into the word, and and they could even pray and heal people. There's there's evidence of divine healing operations throughout the age. But we're talking about having it prominent in the way Jesus did so that everybody who comes with the need can have that need met. That's his goal. Amen. So the spiritual or remnant church is what we call it sometime is composing a similar 95 theses to challenge the religious and political church. Amen. That falls back on the soulish and familiar to keep people entertained. These people borrow from the world, church history, new age, and popular voices to gain the attention, favor, and finances of the people. The real church is on the model of Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. And we'll go there. Matthew, Mark. This is the vision that all believers should have. This is what's going to challenge. This is our our modern-day 95 Theses. Amen. We challenge the religious church because we want to see the gospel come to life for people. It says in verse 14, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had sent him after he was risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. <coughs> He that believes not shall be damned. You notice it's believe and baptize, not just baptism. You've got to be a believer above all things. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And this is what you're looking for. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. All of those signs. 
should follow those. I pray in tongues. Well, pray for the sick then. Well, I don't know if that yet. Keep going. You know, you ain't got it all yet. Just keep believing God and you'll have it. But God confirms the preaching of his word by a demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. It does not originate in the emotions or the flesh of man, but in the realm of the spirit. That's where this power originates. And that's where the signs confirming the preached word originate. Why is this important? So that you will know the truth from the false. Now, somebody can be preaching from the word of God. They can have some good points here and there. But if there's never a demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, keep moving. Did you hear what I said? If there's no demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit, keep moving. You don't have to like them, dislike them, or nothing. Just keep moving until you find the real that God has for you. You want real or you want religion? Well, some people know what they want. I don't know what y'all want. I'll preach to my mirror when I get home. I'll say, mirror, mirror, I don't know. We've got to know the truth from the false, folks. You've got to discern. And you can't make excuses for your favorite preacher anymore. Well, I know they don't have no healings in their ministry, but I like them. Know what you lacking. Because you're going to be dialing 911 one day and you're going to spend all your time and your money supporting what they say. They taking pills just like you are. At least Brother Hagen didn't take no medicine. huh? He proved to us that you could walk in divine health just by feeding on the word of God. People are being fed false religion in the form of political promises and emotional movement. See, the political, they're telling you this person is going to change your life tremendously. And nothing changes. You're a child of God. You know why God lets you be disappointed in politicians? Because he don't want you feeding there. He wants you dependent upon him. He's not going to let somebody come up there and meet every single need of every single person. They're going to all disappoint you. Huh? But if you stay prayerful and you stay with God, your prayers will be answered. Your needs will be met. No matter who goes in the White House or the outhouse or the prayer house or wherever they are, your needs will be met because you're depending on God. That's why he lets man fail us. That's what you get for looking for man to do something for you. Huh? I was reading a statistic in the African-American families. In, in 1970, only 18% of women had babies out of wedlock. Now it's 72%, almost three-quarters. What's increased? What's changed since then? Well, let me see. We had a lot of preaching, political preaching, that people have listened to. Women's lib movement. You know, the babies that are born alive are very fortunate. They escaped abortion. You understand what I'm saying? In some ways, we need to be a little grateful some of them made it through. It's sad, but it is true. Why? Because politicians have told them it's okay. I remember when I was, we were kids. There was one lady that lived in our, we lived in apartment buildings. They were first floor, second floor, whole row of them. There was one lady that lived in our apartment building. She was on welfare. We call it ADC, Aid to Dependent Children. She had some guy, boyfriend, used to come and visit her. He was a cab driver. Remember Yep. And uh, what was his name? Al. I remember Dwayne and Eddie were her sons. Yeah. And so Ruth was her name. And uh, she I don't think she'd ever been married. She was married. Nobody knew, you know. And uh, when we would see, everybody knew what color the social worker's car was. When the social worker was coming, we'd go run down there and tell Ruth, the social worker coming. She'd hide his clothes. Because they put you off welfare. If they found some man standing there, they said, oh, you got a man here? Oh, you don't get no money from us. 
Nowadays, Uncle Sam is your daddy. Huh? He'll take care of you and every baby you got, no matter who the devil, the daddy is. Huh? Why? Because we've been brainwashed into thinking that there is no such thing as right and wrong. There's no morality. You don't have to be married first. You can go out and, you know, do what you want to do. And the government pays you. They don't care if there's, there's 15 single mothers living in an apartment together. What's her name? Uh, there was a girl. I can't think of her name. She's out in California. I think her ministry or, or organization is called CARE, C-A-R-E, but it has to do with, uh, I can't think of her name. And she wears braids all the time. She's probably around in her middle to late 50s now. But she gives her testimony that she, uh, her, she was born into a military family. Everybody in her household worked. They got married before they had kids. She was a kid in the family that never did what they were supposed to do. Her mother gave her chores. She'd find out how to slick the brothers and sisters into doing. She'd do nothing right. She admits this. And uh, she said that when she got older, she left the family. She started living a, a wild life. She winds up in California. She had three abortions. And she decided that with the last abortion, she would... Uh, keep the baby because she got tired of it. She had very bad experiences there. She kept that baby, and she said, I lived on welfare, and we lived in a house with six women with their babies, and all we did was pass our California medical cards around so that we could get stamps, you could get food, you could get all of this stuff. And, And she said, it's a lifestyle out there. They know how to scam it, and it's not even, she said, nobody ever checks. And she said that she had some friends, she said she had worked in a, 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 a she was in some kind of welfare, you could work part-time and get a check to her. Before she had the baby, she said she was working. No, she wasn't on welfare, she was working. She worked with these two young men who went to Fred Price's church. And they invited her to church one time. She said they were always nice to her. She said, when I had my baby, they were the only people that came to visit me. Now, she's living in a house with six women that nobody came except these two Christian guys that went to Fred Price's church. She said, and I saw they were genuine. They cared about me, so I went to church with them. She said, I was sitting there in church. I'd been going about five or six months. And she said, Dr. Price looked me straight in the eye. Now, he's up there preaching. He looked me straight in the eye and said, with all that God can bless you with, child of God, why are you on welfare? And she said that day she went home, she got rid of her welfare check. She told God, I'm going to depend on you. Star Parker is her name, if you ever see her, Star Parker. If, 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 and this is her testimony. And she goes around to political meetings. She'll go anywhere the Lord sends her, and she will share her testimony. And she'll ask them, how, why is it that we have so much welfare in our communities? This is the reason, amen, because your government supports what you do that's not right. Government gets immoral. They'll tell you there's no way you could legislate morality, but yeah, but you don't outlaw it either. You don't tell people they can't tell people not to, not to fornicate before they get married. How dare you tell Christian parents that they can't school their kids and teach them right? So she goes around and she preaches her message and wherever God will open a door for her to preach it. And she has great, uh, great access to some very powerful political situations, sharing her testimony. Amen. So we have to learn to separate politics and religious fervor from spiritual truth. It's a fine distinction. You got to stay with the spirit. Listen, I like some TV preachers, too. But if they don't have signs following, I don't waste my time. You know what I do? I go on Amazon, and I find some preachers who is dead now, but they got people healed. They got people. I get their books, and I read them. I stay with the old stuff in my Bible. Huh? I don't have to like nobody that's preaching now. I don't have to look at nobody that's preaching now. Do you understand me? Because that's a waste of my time. When somebody comes to the altar to get healed, I want them to get healed. I don't want to send them home. Get real here. We either going to do this or we ain't going to do it. 
So we stay with the word and the demonstration and power of the word and away from persuasive words of man's wisdom that leaves you empty. Politics will always go on as usual and religion will follow it. But God's word changes things forever. Why? Because it's forever settled. It will not ever change. But God's preached word and God's declared word and God's prayed word will cause situations to conform to it. Why? Because that is the power of God. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we thank you. Amen. That we are wise. We know the difference. We don't want foolishness. We want your power in every aspect, in every area of our lives. And that's why we can prophesy to the wind. Because we believe you. We trust you and you alone. And we thank you, Lord, for calling us to do this great work on your behalf in this region, this area, and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and then we'll break for lunch. Amen.